0: Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is digital marketing consultant Seth Haynes, who helps organizations, individuals, and businesses grow their brand by helping them better communicate with their audience and customers online. In today's interview Seth talks about his rise from parking lot attendant to marketing manager of the Philly Pops. We also spend a great deal of time talking about his brand new book Break into the Scene which is going to be released on Amazon October 10th. The book is a musician's guide to making connections, creating opportunities, and launching a career.
1: Hi, Seth. Are you there? Yes, Sean. I'm here. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, man. I've been looking forward to this because you're kind of a renaissance man. Uh, you have your fingers in so many aspects of the music business that I have uh, a lot of questions for you. So I hope you're ready.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, you know, I'm happy to, happy to answer and chat about anything.
0: Perfect. Great. So... I know you're in the business end of music, uh, the performance end. So let's just talk about just music itself from the beginning. Do you have a clear memory of the earliest recollection of music having some sort of impact on you?
1: Do I have a clear memory of that? Um, You know, I do. It was actually... So I'm from South Carolina originally in a little small town about half an hour outside of Charlotte North Carolina right on the border there and I remember very very distinctly in 5th grade like the 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 at my school uh band started in 6th grade so in 5th grade they would go to a concert of the band and they would you know if you wanted to sign up you could go you know try to blow into a saxophone for the band director or whatever And so I remember the first time that I was, like, really kind of, like, moved by the idea of music was whenever I heard the sixth grade band play. And, you know, it's so funny. I'm pretty sure the piece they were playing was, like, trumpet voluntary or something. (laughs) You know, it's, like, this, like, ridiculously goofy little, like, like, you know, sixth grade band arrangement. But something about the idea of just, like, being able to, like, create something like that, like, you know. Just, just really compelled me, and so I, I auditioned for the band. I remember I auditioned for the clarinet, saxophone, or trumpet, and so I ended up, I ended up playing the trumpet for about two years, and before I switched to the horn, uh, about I think about a year and a half later. So, as goofy as it sounds, I had no, I, it, it, like I had never really thought about music. Like ever until I was like you know like fifth grade and I saw the band perform and you know it just it just totally clicked and that was that was that you know
0: <laughs> wow that's great and I to teacher then that must have been doing something right uh, influenced you with the uh, trumpet voluntary sixth grade band performance so I <laughs> wish there was a recording of that
1: <laughs> oh my god it's been remarkable I'm sure it was, sure it was magical <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> That's outstanding. So you started in the uh, school system, and I, I, I assume you've, you continued with French horn all the way through. Uh, were you involved with uh, orchestras, concert bands, marching band, jazz band? Like, did you run the full gamut of everything you could do on French horn throughout school?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I you know I I never went into music with like. You know, I, I, it was kind of the things where I had always just kind of assumed I would go into music. Like, I never had considered anything else. Like, I it's literally, I, and I didn't really know what that meant either. Like, you know, in like a small town of South Carolina, there's like, there's not much going on. I mean, the Charlotte Symphony is around. But so I did like marching band and concert band was my primary thing for you know, years. I didn't play in an orchestra until my senior year of high school. Um, hmm. Like I had, I I remember actually I remember I remember the very first time um, I took le- and I only took lessons for um, you know a few years. I mean, it, I was not like super crazy serious. I just always loved playing. and I, I practiced a ton. I played a lot, but I was never like you know. My family has no background in music. They don't have any concept of like you know. Just you know, it, just, it was just so like foreign and new. Like you no, know, yeah, I was just doing what I thought was fun. And so, but I remember the first time I played an orchestral excerpt was it was like the Midsummer Night's Dream uh, Nocturne, and it was like the big horn solo. And it said in E, and my and my teacher assigned it to me. So he's like, because it was on the youth orchestra audition i my senior year, and. I remember I played it for him, and I didn't know what M E meant. I had never heard of transposition, so I played it in the <laughs> wrong key. <laughs> and he was just like, well, you're working too hard. It's actually a little lower than than you think it is. <laughs> so, like, it was so funny. So, like, I, you know, then I ended up going to music school and everything. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I had, a, I had a very, like, you know, like, down south marching band is, like, what everybody's into. Like, orchestral stuff is not nearly as... Um, like culturally prominent, so yeah, I mean that was that was the large, the large part of my like uh, young music education was totally based in the band system. So yeah, and that's and that eventually kind of led to the more you know traditional classical uh, pursuits. But it's very much deeply rooted in like southern marching band culture.
0: <laughs> so you played, I guess you played mellophone in marching band.
1: I did. I would, yeah. I rocked the mellophone, which is a wonderfully awful instrument. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so it, it's interesting. You said you weren't um, – a lot of my guests um, from, from an early time, they're basically obsessed with music, and they know they're going to do music. Something you sure. said in there just is prompted my next question. Um, you said you weren't really a crazy musician, as a young person. So did you do anything else? Were you involved with like baseball or was there any other thing that was taking up your time?
1: Yeah. I mean, I played, uh, I played a fair amount of soccer when I was younger and actually it's funny as of, as of like this in the past few months, as of, you know, the late summer of 2016, we're recording this. I actually just started rejoining soccer leagues um, to <laughs> kind of get back into it. But that's what I did for, yeah, that was kind of my primary thing. But I didn't have any, like, one hobby that I was, like, really super serious about. I mean, I, I like, like, I was, like, really uh, into, like, skateboarding. Like, my dad, like, built ramps for me and my friends in the backyard. And, like, so, like I was, like, really into that kind of stuff. But, like, yeah, I mean, music, it was just, you know, just kind of coming from, like, nobody in my family has any background in music on either side they don't really have any kind of, um, I don't say they don't have an appreciation for it, but like it's just a completely different relationship to it than, you know, someone that grew up like taking violin lessons at a very early age or something, you know, where the parents like knew they wanted their kid to, you know, try out this thing. And I just, it, for me, it was all self directed. I mean, everything I've ever really done has always been very self directed. I've never really had, um, you know, I never, I, mean, I was never really like, you know, pushed in any one direction as like a kid or as a student. So it was all very self-directed. There was, but there was no like, I never, I, I probably never listened to a classical piece of music until I was like, you know, my late teens. <laughs> like, like actively, I mean, I went, went, and pursued to listen to a piece because I wanted to listen to it. You know,
0: <laughs> right? Seth, when he was seventeen. Probably would not recognize Seth now
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's a funny thing how that all how that all works but yeah it's uh, very amazing. very different <laughs> i mean so I, I, what, what I do now is very different than what I ever envisioned I would do like two years ago or three years ago mm-hmm. sometimes even a year ago in some in some aspects of my career but
0: so that's perfect it leads me to my next question actually um i first Came in contact contact with you when you were the marketing manager for the Philly Pops. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you had re- yeah you had reached out. I was on the, one of the gigs, and you were giving us you know the play by play of what we needed to do, and all that type of stuff. And um, could you just tell the listeners how the transition happened from French horn player to marketing manager for the Philly Pops? Like, what was in between all of that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know well, it's a lot, so like did... you could condense it. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I. So well, i should I should kind of preface everything that i that I do by saying that i I've never really been all that interested in just doing one thing. Um, I have like like just playing like I can't imagine just playing. like to me, i I couldn't do that. Um, I, I just have so many other interests so that I'm like really you know passionate about pursuing and doing. So how I got into being the marketing manager for the pops was, uh, it's actually a pretty funny story. So my and it, it like it's it's like completely and totally random how that happened. But I basically it all this is going to sound so ridiculous, but it actually all starts from my job when I graduated school. Like I was working in a parking garage downtown, and cars. That was what I. That was kind of my just day job to pay the bills. And I was I was gigging. I was, uh, at the time, I was doing some teaching artist work around town and – or just getting into it. And so I was always really interested in marketing and business about – as of about halfway through my time at Temple, I, where I did my undergrad. And so I was working in the parking garage, and I just I, – I, I got – I'm a really big reader. I read a lot. So I would literally every day just pick a book with me to work. And whenever it was slow, whenever there was nothing going on, I would just sit down in the, in the office there. And this was working at the Union League here in Philadelphia, which is a social club. And mm-hmm. I basically would sit there and read all day, every day. I, you know, I, I, I just brought a book with me. I've got, you know, I, I, at this point, I've got there hundreds of business books and things. And I said, just, I'm a very voracious reader. And so I would just sit at the garage all day, and I promise this is going somewhere, um, I would just sit at the garage all day just kind of reading, and the president of the Philly Pops is a member of the Union League, um, and as is uh, one of the other uh, people in the leadership roles there as well, so, and for for just, just like a route to kind of speed this story up, basically, there was a situation where the current music where the original founding music director of the organization um, was they were basically having a big dispute about like the orchestra's future and at this time the pops had been under the umbrella of the Philadelphia Orchestra and when they went into you know, when they went into their bankruptcy filings that basically pulled the pops in with them so the board decided to split so they had to essentially Restart this entire orchestra from like the ground up, and the president or this one of the board members was kind of stepping in as the president, and he. His name's Frank, so Frank was, and you might even know Frank Sean, I'm not sure you've met him. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frank was a member of the Union League, and I was, and I was, and so this was kind of like a, a little bit of a pissing match in the press. Like it was a really messy transition because you know it was just it was just classic kind of like disputes about compensation and this and the, that and the other thing, the direction of the orchestra. So there was this big mess going on with this transition. So I was reading all of this and kind of following along. And so I just saw Frank, and I saw him every day come into the union league. I saw him literally every day. So I just went and started talking to him one day. I was like, <laughs> and my mindset was, I have, I'm a valet, Like I have absolutely nothing to lose here. So I was going to go talk to this guy. And he's like one of those people that, He's a very approachable guy, very nice, very personal, but like he's like a very kind of like big deal, quote unquote, around that around that club. Like he's like the kind of guy that all the staff is like very aware of and like you know, he's like, mm-hmm. Well, maybe you shouldn't talk to this guy, like, you know, he's very busy, we don't want to bother him, yada yada. And like I just didn't care about that at all. So <laughs> I just saw him standing there one day. So I just went up and said hello to him and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm I've been following what's going on in the press. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been reading about this. I'm, I'm, really, I'm a musician, but I'm also really interested in the business side of things. And Frank is a very successful businessman as well. So I just started talking to him, and he gave me his card. And mind you, at this point, I'm still a valet. I just finished school about, this is probably eight months after I finished school, something like that. And so I just started talking to him, and then he gave me a card. So I emailed him. And he didn't respond, so I saw him again, and I just said, "Hey, how's it going?" Just saying hello, and he was like, "Oh, you know, I didn't email you back. Send me another email." So I did. Then he said, "Call him." So I did. He didn't answer, so he said, "Call his the marketing person, the pops." I did. They didn't call me back, and eventually he was like, "Okay," this went on for like a month, and he literally, he probably, got he probably regretted giving me that card. But like, <laughs> I just kept talking, I just kept saying hello. You know, it wasn't like a hard sell, It wasn't like pushy or annoying. It was just. I would literally see him every day, and eventually he just said, all right, you know what, I've got 30 minutes next Thursday at 4 o'clock. And so he was like, meet me at Chris's Jazz Cafe, which is right next door to the garage and in, in the club. So I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is awesome. So I took the entire day off work. I went and met him there, and he was on the phone for probably 20 of the 30 minutes we were there. <laughs> and, but he basically, at the end of it, was like, you know what, Come into the office on Monday morning at 8:30 uh, a.m. and meet with the vice president. So, um, so his name's Lewis. So I went in. I went in and met with Lewis at like 8:30 in the morning. At this point, I had never actually had a job in marketing. I had just read a lot of books about it and done some stuff on my own. And I walked out of there as a as a paid intern to the Philly Pops at $15 an hour. And uh, over a couple of years went by, the organization was growing and changing and evolving, and I just kept moving on up the ranks there, and I ended up being the marketing manager for about a, a little over a year or so. So that was pretty much how that happened.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sounds like a Hollywood that, movie plot almost.
1: I know. It sounds so ridiculous. like. <laughs> I will, if anybody's interested, I will sell them the rights. But. <laughs> but, <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, that's, 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 that's how that happened. It's, uh, it's like, it's totally goofy. I did, there was no application. I did, I, I've never, I had never at that point ever even applied for a job in marketing. I just, I was just interested in it, knew a lot about it from reading, but it was all like abstract knowledge. I didn't have any concrete like application of the ideas, but I just knew, I knew all the concepts. I just had it, like, put them in the, like, I hadn't implemented them. But, yeah, that was a, that's how I got my first job in marketing and how I ended up being the marketing manager for uh, the facility class.
0: A lot of times I run into different, you know, marketing people and uh, people who do the uh, logistics for orchestras and entertainment organizations. And it seems to me that the most successful, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a reflection of me or a reflection of them or both. But it seems like the folks that are in those positions that are musicians, I they seem way more effective to me than people that are trained in business only. Could you speak to that a little bit about how musicians in these business positions talking to musicians, I think, actually get more done than just straight business people.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so one of the things that I think is really, really important, um, and like I, I don't, I don't want to like get into a, uh, a a huge conversation about like. <laughs> you know, the effectiveness of, of, like, the administration of organizations, which, but, like, you know, it's one of the things that I would say, you know, just as someone that has a very, very thorough understanding of both sides of the sense, um, I think that people that come from a background of both, like, actually having, like, um, either training in both or just experience in both, I would say they're definitely – Easier to work with for everybody because the challenge with I think that a lot of um, you know like the musicians have and the administration has is that it's, they live in very different worlds. So like you know so someone that works in the office of say like an, an orchestra, or, you know, any performing arts organization, often you know they're they're very they're very removed from the artistic side of things. But and and you know, and on the other side of that, though, like the musicians are very removed from like the business side of things um mm-hmm. and I would say that the people that have an understanding and can engage uh intelligently in both sides of it are much more in my experience are much more effective at their position because I mean, I think you have to have that that understanding and, and background to do the job effectively. Um, and, you know, and, and I think one thing that I really do truly believe is that every musician that does any kind of, like, work for organizations, that, that does work for, like, you know, orchestras, whether they're a freelancer or, you know, they're playing a regional symphonies or maybe it's a major symphony, I think every musician would really benefit from a little bit of time to get to know the other side of the business, because there are ways that that the administration can help musicians out and musicians can help the administration out. They can help each other out tremendously, and they both need each other. Um, And the people that kind of cross those boundaries and are ready to help on either side of the fence, uh, I do find that they're probably more effective in their position. So, yeah, I mean... I would encourage any musician listening that isn't familiar with, like, the administration side of things or maybe doesn't quite understand why things are the way they are. I mean, sometimes there are incredible – I mean, look at all these just labor negotiations that are constantly going wrong with orchestras. I mean, I really Mm -hmm. think that a lot of that could be be – it would be a lot more productive if everybody had a better understanding of where the other, like, side was coming from. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you articulated it perfectly. Um, <laughs> yes, I think so because it's a, kind of like a Venn diagram. You have musicians here, you have administration here, but I think the compromise you have to both be in the middle and, like you said, understand where both sides are coming from. I had a project Absolutely. that I was pitching. I had a project that I was pitching to a publisher a couple of years ago, and I was very passionate about it, and I thought it was the you know the next great thing since sliced bread. But right. I submitted it um, to this publisher. And the guy who I I was rejected for the project, Uh, but it was one of the best things that ever happened because the guy that rejected it was thoroughly immersed in the business end and the music end. And when he explained the business end of it to me, he said, listen, I like your music, but, you know, these factors will prohibit me from doing this project. Um, It was I totally understood because he hit it from both ends, not just like a project was rejected, like, nope, we don't want to do it. That wouldn't have helped me. He gave me both sides of the spectrum, and I was like, well, right. now I understand why this won't float, which was great. Right. And well, it's what you just said. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and, w- and just and just kind of one little final thought to kind of piggyback on that is that um, I think that one of the biggest challenges a lot of, um, you know, like folks folks that have in, in any kind of artistic um, like pursuit that, I mean, a lot of the time people are just, to be completely honest, most people are like absolutely avoid thinking about the business side of things at all times. And I think there's this tendency to think that like, oh, well, I'm an artist. I shouldn't have to deal with X, Y, Z thing. Like that's not, that's, that's not relevant to me, but I mm-hmm. really, really disagree with that actually because I think the more you can understand what the other person cares about, the more effective you can be in, you know, in getting more work for yourself, or your your colleagues, or getting or being more useful to the organization, so they want to use you more. I mean, like I can think of a few things. Like you know, even just for my time, you know, at this point I've, I've done consulting work and worked for and with tons of performing arts organizations in various capacities, and the musicians that are enthusiastic about both sides, of it, uh, both sides of it and want to help and want to engage in the process, to be, to be quite frank, they're the ones that get the most work because the people that want to, like, the people that want to help, want to engage, want to be more part of the conversation are the ones that are probably um, going to be the most valuable to the organization, right? Because a lot of people just want to, show, it's like I just want to show up. I just want to play. I just want to like do my thing, and that's great. Like that's that's totally fine. You do you do your thing. I'll do mine. No, nobody's right or wrong here. But like the people that reach across the borders, like we're talk, I'm talking about here, to understand where the other ones are coming from, like and you can, Everybody can help each other out if they're more proactive in doing that. I mean, I've seen it countless times in different organizations of all levels of, you know, whether these are multimillion-dollar performing arts organizations that are playing in, you know, halls like the Kimmel Center and Horizon Hall or Carnegie or these small, really, like, kind of scrappy startup, like chamber groups and things. Like, every the, the people, no matter what the situation is, the people that are most engaged in the entire process and trying to help them be useful and be valuable to each other are the ones that, you know... Get the best, the best shot at the best work. I mean, from my experience. So, I mean, I think, the that's not to say it's always the case, but it's it's definitely something that a lot of that both administrators and musicians could do more of. I think.
0: No, I, I totally agree with that, and uh, I'm gonna you know turn it back. I'm gonna say thank you to you. Um, your podcast actually uh, influenced me uh, when you uh, had Chris Coletti on and um, great, it man. was wild because i found myself on your website listening to a trumpet player talk and i'm a percussionist and i don't know how i got to your website but it was it was great and i checked out some of your other stuff and again it's not just chris is a great example of what you were talking about he's a great absolutely. musician he probably could yeah he probably could just play trumpet and that's it uh, yeah, but he does yeah he he does so much more he has a great blog of his own uh, he's out there in so many things. He runs the social media for the Canadian Brass, uh, mm-hmm. makes himself available. And uh, it's just that giving back and communicating and trying to, um, you know, show more, more about your passion to as many people as possible. And uh, for a drummer, me, to be on your website listening to a trumpet player talk, it was pretty incredible that you got me there somehow.
1: Wow. Well, that's, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. It's awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. And to continue even more with this... Um, you have written a book that's going to be released soon. I think the book is called uh, Breaking into the Scene. Yeah, and uh, why don't you tell scene. us about that? Yeah, why don't yeah, you tell us so, about the book?
1: Yeah, so the book is called Breaking into the Scene. It's uh, being released on October 10th. It will be available on Amazon and Kindle and paperback. Um, so the bo- and, So if anybody is interested in this, uh, you can just go to breakintothescene.com. But what the book is, is basically I wanted to create the resource that I wish I had had whenever I was first getting started uh, getting freelance work. So I wanted to write from the perspective of someone that is, either interested, that is either just getting started, just moving to, say, a new city, or is trying to expand the pool of work they do. So establish people that have already been doing you know, X, Y, Z kind of work, but want to branch out and diversify uh, what's there, whether that's playing or teaching or whatever it is, or something completely different. And so I wanted to write the book that I wish I had had access to, because I remember very, very vividly the frustration of being, you know, when I was really just getting started, and this was not all that long ago, but I remember – Reading all these books and thinking, well, this sounds great, but that doesn't mean anything to me as a as a as an individual person that has seemingly no connections. I don't. I didn't really know how to start meeting people. I didn't know how to start kind of like running in those circles. And you know, because I was always thinking things like, well, why would they want to hire me? Like, I'm not ready yet. Like, you know, they don't want. They're not going to pass off to work to this like. This random guy who's like gonna to try to take. I, mean, I was thinking from the. I was thinking from the about it from the perspective that like they were like every like nobody would want to hear from me. So I remember sitting there thinking like, man, I like I just didn't know what to do. And I read a lot of the books, and there's some great books on the topic of music careers, like uh, Angela Beaching's Beyond Talent. It's fantastic. Uh, David Cutler's Stabby Musician. Uh, there's a book The Musician's Way. So there's a lot of these books out there, but. I found that a lot of them, from my perspective, there was a lot of talk of like what's possible, so kind of like high-level thinking, like thirty-thousand feet view, and very little about how to take the first steps because that's the hardest part with anything. I mean, I've experienced it countless times, and I hear from readers. I mean, it's it's crazy how many people read my site, MusiciansGuideHustling.com, but like I hear from people literally all over the world, and they all have the same challenges, I heard over and over and over again. So the one thing that this book does is I wanted to kind of make the argument that you as an individual can influence the amount of work that you do. You have absolute control over how much work you can generate for yourself. It's challenging, it's tough, but it's absolutely possible if you go about it from the right way. So there are kind of like a couple of big topics that I covered throughout the book. First off is a lot of people look at it from the perspective of like there are no new opportunities out there. All of the things that are take all of the things that are out there, there are a ton of people doing, I mean, you know, there there are a ton of people that are available for those gigs. So it's hard to kind of crack into those, you know, those quote unquote markets that are really saturated with people that have already established themselves as the go-to players for that. So I'm more interested in actually creating new opportunities versus fighting for existing opportunities. And I always kind of think about it from the perspective of looking at it as like a pie. And everybody's trying to get their little piece of the pie, their little cut, you know. They're trying to get as much as they can. But there's only so much pie available, right? So, But whenever you look at it from the perspective of creating new opportunities, I'm much more interested in like, yeah, you can have the existing pie. Like, I don't really care about that. I'm more interested in growing the pie, like creating more opportunities because the more things that you're creating for yourself, that's inherently going to be creating work for others, which is going to compound, and it's going to be better for everybody. So I'm a huge advocate of creating your own opportunities. And the other big thing that people struggle with is networking, or they they, they, they have so much trouble knowing what to say, who to reach out to. How do you know who to reach out to? Like, how do you know who they are? And so I wanted to break down all of these barriers as much as possible. So I do things like I give people exact email scripts they can use to reach out to anybody. It's literally a <laughs> cut-and-paste template they can use. And I know this works. I've used it myself hundreds of times. This one email script that I just use over and over and over again, and just change and adapt for the situation. You know, it's made me a lot of money. It's it's opened up countless opportunities that have led to other opportunities, and you know, so things like that, like adding the script in that I wanted to do to make it as simple as possible for people to read the book and take action on the material and start getting results. So that's the kind of big gist of the book is really how can people read and then take action on the material to get results very quickly. That's my goal with the book. I mean, I had one beta reader um, who was a, you know, they'd been a reader on my site and they were a, an early reader of the book. And they landed a $1,200 gig in one afternoon by just sending a couple of emails to people. And that was, it probably took her, uh, she's a she's a cellist in New York. It probably took her like maybe a couple of hours on like a Saturday afternoon to do that work and it immediately opened up one opportunity for like twelve hundred bucks are you kidding me twelve hundred bucks is awesome considering this is a book that costs like fifteen dollars or something you know like <laughs> that's that's, a, that's insane so it's just these simple things that people can do to to get moving and the book dives. You know, much more into all of this, but those are uh, that's kind of the general overview of what the book is, what I, what I hope to accomplish with the book. And one last thing that I will say on that, um, if anybody's interested, go to BreakIntoTheScene.com and click on bonuses, and you can download some of the free bonuses from the book without even buying the book. Like, if you want to buy the book, awesome. That's fantastic. Great. I, I hope you do, and I would love to hear from you but go, you know if you're interested at all and like just curious as to what what are these scripts what is this book if you go to breakintothescene.com you can actually just download the bonuses for like they're totally free they're just there on the site all you have to do is click a button and you know you can check it out it's it's there it's just breakintothescene.com so that's that's uh, excuse me that's that's the gist of the book and i hope people check it out
0: yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like a very practical resource uh, to get boots on the ground right away and to that's start cool. moving forward. Yep. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's, I can't wait to check it out myself. Part.
1: Yeah, that's the hardest part, man. It's just like taking those first steps. Because once you can get one gig, like if you can get one, you can get two, right? If you can get two, mm-hmm. you can get five. You will start meeting people. You'll start connecting with the with your colleagues, and you can go from five to ten to to 25 or 50 or whatever it is, however much you choose to like continue scaling this up and growing and investing time in the process, you know, you will see results. I mean, that's, that's like I have no doubt that that will happen for anybody that reads and follows the steps outlined in the book. But, yeah, absolutely, getting the boots on the ground is what I'm, most interested in is getting people get some skin in the game right away and start getting results.
0: Outstanding, yeah! I can't wait to read it. And I have a lot of uh, students and colleagues that work with, uh, you know, older kids and uh, college students that have just graduated. So it sounds like it's going to be a great resource for them to add to their uh, bag of tricks.
1: Yeah, I hope. I hope. I hope they do. I mean, it, it'll be great to. It would be great to share it with them, and I'd love to hear any, uh, any feedback anybody has on it as well, thoughts, ideas, improvements, anything. would be great.
0: Great. All right. Uh, one last question that I ask all of my guests, um, sure. and I love the answers because I, it runs the gamut. I, I get so many responses to this question, so here goes. Do you still listen to music for fun? I
1: do listen to a lot of music, But I will say I listen to almost no classical music for fun. (laughs) I I listen to very little classical music. Like, it's like like leisurely. I I love attending performances. I don't do it as much as I should, and I would like to, but I love attending live performances. But in terms of just, like, listening on, like, Spotify or iTunes or Pandora or while I'm driving, um, I I do not – I don't really listen to that much classical music. I listen to a lot Is it of other because you're
0: people? around it? I'm sorry, I stepped on you. No,
1: no, no. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's it's one of those things where I just kind of. I mean, it's like everything else in my in my like kind of. life. I just have so many things I'm interested in that, and I I feel like I'm around it. Yeah, exactly what you said. I feel like I'm around it so much that like, it's I want to say it's less enjoyable to listen to, but. It almost feels like work sometimes when I'm like mm-hmm. listening to classical music, and that's not to say that it's like that it's like work or anything. But my mind just kind of like starts, It goes. My mindset listening to something classical is very different than it is just listening to like you know a, an old like um, you know like Coltrane record or like an indie mm-hmm. band or like what I'm listening to it while I'm running or whatever it is. It's just it's like a different mindset for me.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I understand, understand. totally. It happens to me, it goes in phases. Like if I'm on a lot of orchestral gigs, I won't be listening to orchestra music in the car. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, depends what I'm doing at the time, what I'm listening to. Um, I just, I forgot to ask you about music and performing. The New City Brass, Uh, you're the founder and uh, French horn player in that. Uh, Where do you guys gig?
1: Yeah, the New City Brass was something that I I started when I graduated from, School. I, I was. It was. It was kind of my first, actually, like first real like project I started. Where I was like, I want to create my own gigs. I'm, I'm tired of waiting around and hoping other people call me. I want to drum up work for myself and my friends. You know, I want to. I want to go out and play with my friends. So, the New City Brass was really a project that started pretty much exclusively just to as a place for as a place for me to play with my friends and we tried to get as much work as we could and so we did it's not something that we do that i like work as hard on now i i'm i still have i still have a, we still have a couple of a, a handful of gigs throughout the year that we always do but really it was my first attempt at starting my own thing and so i i basically the way and the way it started i mean just i can give a real quick kind of funny story about like how it actually started because it ties right into, like, the book and what we were talking about. But I literally sat down one day, and I decided, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to make this happen. I'm just going to get started. I don't care if it's right or wrong, good or bad. I just want to get started. So I literally sent a text to my friends, and I was like, hey, are you guys around at, uh, like, 1 p.m. on Saturday to get together and read through a couple of things? The reason it was 1 p.m. is because it, it would be on a lunch break from the, the parking garage. <laughs> which is right down the street from Curtis. So a couple, so I met, so three people were spotted. Uh, my buddy uh, Mizomi, who's a trumpet player, uh, my friend Lee, who's a tuba player, and then uh, my fr- a friend Patrick, who's a trombone. And we literally sat down, and I was like, okay, I've got four guys, we've got a trumpet, a horn, trombone, and tuba. So that week, I just put together a couple of quick arrangements for that ensemble, just a quartet. There's like no music for that quartet, but I went ahead and put it together, I just, I just slapped together a couple of arrangements. We literally showed up at Curtis on on a Saturday afternoon. We didn't tune, we didn't read through, we didn't practice anything. We literally hit record and just read everything straight down. Hit stop. they sent me the file. I put together a little mix of like a, like a 30 second little teaser and I started reaching out to churches. And within like less than a day later, I had us booked for our first ever gig. It was an Easter gig. At a church that we ended up playing for several years, and that was how that was how the New City Brass got going.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: And you know, we and we've done stuff at like the Kimmel Center, Oregon Day, and Verizon Hall, which is unbelievably cool to play with the Wanamaker or not Wanamaker, Oregon. What is that one called? Um, whatever the Kimmel Center, Oregon is called. I'm totally right. blanking. Oh, Fred J. Cooper Moore, Oregon. And so, like, it's an it's unbelievably cool to play on that stage as a brass quintet. I mean. Like the only other quintet that probably ever ever has played on that stage regularly was like I mean the Canadian brass is played there. That's all I know of. But it's mm-hmm. so like we got to play on the Kimmel stage with that big organ. We've gotten to do. We've played at conferences before. I mean it was it's just it's a very cool thing that I don't spend as much time with now. But we still we still do gigs throughout the year for sure. So
0: I'm looking forward yeah. to getting your book. And I will definitely put links at the bottom of this podcast for all the listeners so they can easily access your website and the book's website and all that. And uh, thank you for your efforts on the Internet. I uh, gain a lot of information by checking out your blog, and I look forward to your book, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Yeah, Sean, this is a real pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It was really fun.
0: Okay, Seth. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. For more about Seth Haynes' book, Break Into the Scene, his professional services, or his brass group, please visit the links below this podcast. And thanks for listening.